Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NYC Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Mark Levine. I'm also one of the owners of EBMG. We're a New York City property management company. And if you are a listener to the podcast, you know that from time to time, we like to have experts on to talk about what's going on in the real estate industry around New York City. And today we have a great expert and we have Deborah Koplovitz from a partner of Herrick Feinstein LLP. How are you? Hi, I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. So we've dealt together in um, the past with certain co-op and condo clients um, in Manhattan, and we bounce off each other from time to time on certain things. Um, and what I wanted to really bring you on today is because there were a few um, proposed bills that are now on the table. We're in February of 2023, and it has to relate to purchase applications in co-ops and um, various different rules and regulations that they're going to try to push through. Um, so what I wanted to do for everybody listening is kind of walk through that and talk about it like we would as professionals, just what are the ups and downs? What are we looking at? How does it impact our clients? Because I think our clients are some of the same clients. Um, we have the same fiduciary responsibility for them and we are looking at the big picture. Um, so what I wanted to do, if you want to give a, a little bit of a uh, description of yourself, I always ask people when they're on the show, especially for the first time, like you are, um, if you can give us a background, like what have you been doing the last few years? What are you specializing in so everybody can know at home? Yeah, thank you so much. So um, I'm a partner in Herrick Feinstein's litigation department, but I also am a sort of straddle the real estate department in that I also work with our team here to provide general uh general real estate advice to about 200 co-ops and condos in uh, the five boroughs, primarily Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx. I don't think we have any in Staten Island, but, um, yeah. and so it's a great field. It's exciting. I get to work with great people like you and happy to talk about uh, these three bills that have been proposed. I just want to say before I say anything else, substantively, that of course everything I'm saying today is are my own ideas and beliefs, thoughts, and not those of Eric Feinstein or any client we have. I should say that before every podcast I do. These are my yeah. views, not my company's, but I guess they're <laughs> one and the same since I'm one of the owners. Um, before we get into that, and we're going to jump right into it, just if you want to email the show, uh, you could do that NYC Real Estate Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to call me directly, you can do so at 212-335-2723, extension 201. Always love to hear questions, comments on the show. If you have anybody that wants to be a guest, feel free to send them my way. Um, all right, so let's get it, get into it. I know that um, what we're discussing today was proposed by a few advocates and sponsors of the proposed bill, one of them being Jumani Williams, um, who is a public advocate, and there are a few other sponsors. And I will let you, as the expert, take it from here, and then I will be happy to riff off of um, what is being proposed so we can talk about it. Yep. So, yeah, and earlier this month, there was a proposal to um, have three bills in the New York City uh, City Council to amend the administrative code of the city of New York, in particular, the human rights law sections um, and New York City has had a fantastic history being on the forefront of advocating for much more stringent human rights laws. And we have a really great um, set of laws here in the city. And so what Jumani Williams and other sponsors are doing are trying to address, you know, obviously, 
obvious ongoing housing discrimination that unfortunately still exists to a certain degree and um, in our city. And so there are three bills that have been proposed to address co-op applications. They obviously don't address condo uh, sales at all, which do have, as you know, some limited process of right of first refusals. These yeah. three bills only address co-op applications, which are subject to a very heavy co-op uh, board scrutiny. There's a whole very large set of financial documents that get submitted, recommendations, personal references, professional references. You know, some people have likened this to a very uncomfortable medical exam. You have to... <laughs> <laughs> disclose all your finances, all your debts, all your liabilities, all your assets. And then if you get past the financial portion, then you go to an interview with the board, which is normally not really a big deal. Once you get past the finances, usually it's not a big deal. But, you know, there is an ongoing um, situation where, you know, people are feeling that they have been excluded from housing and purchasing co-op apartments. And so this bill or these set of bills was, is meant to reduce housing discrimination, but we can get into it. Um, there are three components. One is uh, the speed in which co-op boards have to review um, applications. The second component is that they have to engage in a very, very um, full disclosure type of explanation of why um, applications have been denied. And in fact, they have to also include uh, a, a three-year history of who's applied and who was denied, and that that we can get into later. And then the third component is they have to, I'm forgetting now. <laughs> Disclosures on finances? Disclosure on finances. Thank you. I had a You're little uh, senior moment there for a second. So they have to disclose finances. So normally, in addition to getting board minutes, when uh, per prospective purchases are looking to purchase, um, they also now can get, you know, the annual financials and potentially other um, information, which I think is would be helpful for most buyers. I think most people really want to know what what they're getting into. Um, now, we can talk some some of the things maybe that was that were maybe overlooked in the these bills, and maybe the maybe they'll get corrected. Maybe the the, the council members are going to listen to this podcast and say, oh, we should make make an amendment. <laughs> so what I've said to my clients in the past before, this isn't signed into law yet. So this isn't something actionable. This is being Not discussed. Yet. But yeah. what in the past, we have certain um, protected classes, both in New York State, New York City, and also federal level. And they all layer upon each other. And they've been around for a long time. It was a way to pre prevent discrimination and to give everybody equal access. But in any case, the direction that I've given my clients whenever they are entertaining, and I'm, I think we've discussed this before on other episodes, I always say, if you're going to bring them into an interview, make sure that your applicant is financially um, where you need them to be on the co-op side so that you're not bringing them in knowing that they can't afford it because now you're opening yourself up to any point of a discrimination lawsuit because they could not have the finances, but if they are um, a person of color, if they, you know, gender, if you have um, based on sexual preference, their type of income, 
Um, those things are all gateways to lawsuits. So we want to make sure that all of our clients are just acting in best faith. So my advice, and I would imagine that it's all legal advice too, would be if you're not going to approve them based on financials alone, the application stops before they get to the interview. Um, this is denied. We don't have to, at this point, give any explanation in writing as to the reason why they were denied. But you know, from a financial point of view, that's the most important. Um, in terms of how would we go, let's pretend that now these um, proposed bills become the law of the land. What does that process look like? Um, so the first part of it you noted was the time for, frame for processing. So we receive an application. We have a full department in my company that does that. We um, filter that through, make sure that it's all complete. Um, a lot of the time, which you've probably experienced before too, when we get an application, it's it's maybe 70% complete. It's not there. So does the clock start ticking when we've received the application initial or when we've deemed it complete? Or we may not know yet, right? Because there's that back and forth with the bill sponsor. And then there's also the back and forth with our company to say, okay, um, you as the realtor have not submitted a, you know, a complete package. We're missing X, Y, and Z. Please send it over to us and then we can filter it over to the board. Um, so that's something right. that actually popped into my head as I was thinking about this. It's like, where does that time start? And you may not know because it's so uh, new. I do. I yeah. do. And, and actually, that was a great place to start because that, for me, is one of the main, uh, one of the massive issues with these proposals because the proposed amendment to Section 8904, and I don't want to give anyone any unnecessary brain damage citing to a lot of sections. Thank you. But if any any city council members happen to be listening, that section needs to be cleaned up because it says the time for determination is within 45 days after the cooperative corporation first receives any of the information or documents contained in the list required to be maintained and provided pursuant to 8902 of the chapter. That's a okay, problem. Later on, they do talk about all of the um, documents. You know, yeah. the application having been complete, it says, and then later just down says, uh, you know, the time for determination at any time after a completed application is submitted is, you know, it, it, you can extend it. But so the extension talks about the completed application, but the 45 day talks about any of the documents. So right. I, I agree with you, you know, documents trickle in and most um, most buildings, larger buildings are using these, you know, board packager or the, I don't want to advocate for any particular one. There's probably several out there. I'm mm -hmm. most familiar with board packager, but yeah. Um, you know, you know, you trickle in, you know, you ask your former employer to give you a recommendation. That one trickles in, you right. know, you got to get an updated uh, bank statement. You got to get an updated uh, investment statement. You know, it trickles in um, a, a letter from your current landlord or current co-op, you know, this stuff all trickles in and the way this one section is written I would take a strict construction of this and say any of the information. That means the day the person first submits. Now, you can literally you, just get an intent to submit in writing. And is that something that's, okay, yeah. here's page one of the application. Does that start the clock? I mean, 45 days to me is reasonable because I know just based on my office per se, if we get it complete, it's out the door within a week. And then a month, if, you know, most boards today, I would say, COVID really shifted Zoom and, you know, how people are using their time to meet. 
it used to be, as I'm sure you're, you know, fully aware, you know, oh, you, the, the meeting was yesterday. You have to wait a full month and they don't have mid month meetings. Sorry, it's 30 days. And that's when we'll get back to you. That is uh, email and Zoom. That's almost like off the table with most of my buildings these days. It's okay. We have an application to consider. Let's set up an interview in between the meetings and then we'll reaffirm the, you know, that vote at the next board meeting, but we'll let's clear it out of the queue. Um, so 45 days to me seems reasonable so long as we have a completed application. Um, did that? Well, that- and, 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 and so long, I, I think that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's also what, I mean, this, I agree with you normally, it seems that people, and you're more in the nitty gritty of this stuff than we are, obviously, but, but, um, I would say that doesn't sound unreasonable, except for the fact that most boards we have don't meet in the summer at all. And there right. is another provision about that. But but the problem with that provision as well, and if there's any city council members listening, I don't know how many co-op condo practitioners were consulted because this section that says we can sort of toll the time for this period, if the if it says if the board of directors has placed in its bylaws a statement that such board does not ordinarily meet in the months of July and August, then you can get an extension of time. But I've never seen any bylaw that has any such statement in their bylaws about when board meetings happen, first of all. And second of all, if this is going to go into law, you know, most bylaws say that some bylaws allow the directors to amend, but most of them say shareholders have to amend. So what do you do in a situation where the shareholders now are going to be asked to make an amendment? You need 66 and two thirds percent. And then they may be suspect about why should we amend to say the board is not meeting in July and August. Well, maybe the board needs to meet in July and August. Right. I mean, you know, so we don't want to say, you know, or does not ordinarily meet, I guess, then right. I guess that's how you do it. But that just creates another hurdle that doesn't really address the ordinary operating procedure of co-ops. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that should be tweaked as well. I mean, some of these aren't crazy things to fix. And then I think, you know, then we're getting to. Wait, listen, no one wants unnecessary litigation. Who wants to litigate whether any of the information received triggers this 45-day period or not? That should be cleaned up. Judges don't want to be litigating the word any, especially not when the next paragraph says all, you know, completed application. Yeah. So I think that that should definitely, those things should definitely get tweaked um, and corrected. And then, you know, there's there's a lot, there's a lot in these three bills, a lot. And for for the sake of the bylaws, and you made a good point of supermajority usually rules to have the bylaws amended or the proprietary lease amended or whatever that may be, the official corporate documents that the board themselves can't kind of edit themselves. Usually it's just the house rules as long as they don't step on those things. But if you phrase it, I can see it definitely in the smaller buildings where if you said, you know what, you're we were talking about this kind of before, but um, before we came on here, if we have a very small building, which is anywhere from five to 20 units, um, which I consider to be very small, you can make the case to the shareholders to say, well, we're going to be responsible for financial penalties if we don't get this application in this case out during this time. So it would make financial sense for us, regardless if we do have a meeting in the summer, just to put that in paper into the official corporate documents so that you have a coverage. So if something comes in in June, but you know that July and August are, are dead months for the board, now you have until September to be within the law. Um, I think that would be 
be fine. And then there's the other side of it where you could say, well, you only need a majority of the board to really enact a meeting. So if you have a typical schedule where notice is effectively given, you know, in the beginning of every term, we try to make it so that the board say, we're going to meet. This is at their first meeting after the election. And we put it in the minutes where we can. We're going to meet every third Thursday at 7 p.m. So now everybody has constructive notice. We don't have to go through the the machinations of, okay, there's a, let's call for a meeting every month and get everybody to say yes. Um, everybody knows on the board that it's the third Thursday at seven, whoever can show up shows up. And if you can get three out of four out of seven, or you can get three out of five, then that constitutes a quorum. And then you can actually transact the business and you're not relying on the full board, but at least acknowledging in the back of your head that, okay, July and August, we understand those are slow months, but for the purposes of, if we have an application, let's just meet and get it through. So there are a few ways. Um, if there are any financial implications for not abiding by these laws, and I think that there are, right? There's like a $10,000 fine um, per incident. And I'm not sure if there's any other fines or penalties or, um, you know, if an egregious, you know, a denial of an application that shouldn't have been denied. That's something that every board now has to be aware of. And th that will kind of dictate the decisions moving forward. So we have yeah, four there, there oh, are a lot of penalties. You can get into them. And I think you were right to point out that, you know, smaller buildings are obviously going to be disproportionately hit by these penalties. Um and yeah. you know, so again, we may not really be addressing the issue that we want to address in the most tailored way. Um, we got we have um a thousand dollar penalty, and I don't want to get off topic, but uh, you know. A thousand dollar penalty for certain violations, um, five thousand for others, and a ten ten thousand is the max. Um, but that's every violation, each violation. And we've seen um, the division of human rights get involved in a lot of different types of cases, from discrimination, um, mostly discrimination, I guess. That would be like a real kind of thing for them to hook into. Um, I don't know if one of these lawsuits would then bring the building or the board into that type of a situation where now the division of human rights is involved. And, you know, the division of human rights, we've dealt with them over the last 20 years in certain cases that have come up with um, apartment rejections. And it's no joke. You know, you want to stay clear of the division of human rights. You want to operate everything as clearly as possible so that you don't run into that situation. So beyond the financials, I can imagine that this may be a headache in the future um, if one of those purchasers that may have been denied or or let's say they were approved and it took 60 days versus 45. Do they still have a case even if they were approved? You're just opening up so many doors that we don't need to like look through. Um, That's so, right. There's a yeah. lot. There's a lot. And they, I think there is a good argument to say that some, even someone who gets approved could be upset that it took too long to get approved or to get the response back. The response, if also, if it's not sufficiently, you know, specific, there's another thing. There's also, in addition to the, the, the violation fees, there's also civil penalties and then compensatory and punitive damages that are also possible. So we could be looking at very big numbers here. I didn't want to just say that it's just $10,000. That's not it. Yeah. it. You know, we're really talking, we're talking about it could be a very big number and I think if the goal here is to, uh, and by the way, the commission, this New York City Commission on Human Rights can also investigate themselves, just like they do with reasonable accommodation requests, where, you know, someone says, 
I, I need a handicap or disability access to the building and um, you know they're they're not getting back to me or they're not letting me have a lift or a ramp. I mean the the commission can go out and investigate on their own. And we could um, do and many, a whole other episode on that alone because the laws have changed regarding um, accommodations. And yeah. th that's something that we also have to look at. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the time frame for processing, which is now we know is 45 days from the receipt. Yeah. We're unclear about the completion. In terms of rendering a decision, um, what is the time frame looking at with that? Right. So let me just want to pull it up. It's it's pretty fast. Um uh, and is the while you're that. looking that up, I guess I'll pose a question because I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Is a decision after it does it count the time that you're doing the interview? So it's the application review, board review, and then interview. Do all those three components of time make up the time for the decision? Right. Um, okay. So 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 I think what's going to happen from a practical standpoint is they have no later than five business days after the board makes its decision to withhold consent. Okay. Now, so that means that if the package is, if the, the written materials are submitted and they're complete, then under the normal course of this, these series of laws, you're going to have 45 days to make the decision and then you're going to have five business days after you make the decision to withhold consent, assuming you deny on the financials, to render your very specific decision. Um, so that's that time frame. But I guess on the alternate side, someone may submit their package. You're going to have to decide whether or not you want to interview them. And, you know, well, that brings up another question is what happens if they're not available on the date you want to interview them? And it takes you more into the 45 day category, but well, that's right. another question. I would but, hope that if we could prove that we were trying, we were trying, we were trying, and it was them that was holding it up. I would hope that in a reasonable world, but not everything is reasonable. Sometimes it's just black and white. With you the know, there is, a, there is a provision that you can extend the time, but I think no more than it's, it's not that much. I think it's 14 days, but anyway, we can get into that. I can look that up too specifically, but so I think what's going to happen is you got 45 days to basically, if you look at the package, so you're going to have to look at the package pretty quickly and decide on the package if you want to interview them, because you may need two, three weeks to schedule the interview. Right. And then at, so let's assume you interview the person. You have to do five business days after the interview to give them a decision. Okay. Um, and it, if and you're withholding it, consent. And as you said before, we, we don't, or one of us said, we don't have to give right now the reason why. The new yep. law is proposed, or the proposed new law is to say that we have to give a really clear answer as to why in writing, which opens up a much more of a liability for the building. And it has to be really focused and not in any way stepping near any of those protected classes. And it just really has to be financial in nature. Right. Well, it could be, it could be, I would think, you know, that the, the, uh, it could be that the recommendations weren't good or they were incomplete or they were not credible or something like that. Um, we had a situation a while back where someone had doctored up a work recommendation and put it on and changed it to the co-op recommendation. And we had, you know, there was a situation where, you know, there was a connection. And so someone actually called the person and said, wait a minute, I didn't write that co-op board recommendation. 
So I guess it could be something like that, you know, yeah, you that's like a fraud. Or, yeah. Yeah. But but so but, you know, the, so what the law says, what these proposed bills say is it has to be um, set forth each reason, each reason for withholding consent with specificity. And it has to be um, uh, it, the requirement includes identifying each element of the package, which was found by the co-op to be deficient any ways that the application failed to meet any specific policy standards or requirements of the co-op, source of negative information relied in connection with any of its reasons for withholding consent, um, and it has to convey sufficient information to enable a prospective purchaser to take specific steps to remedy any specific deficiencies in that application. So that's an implication that now purchasers almost have an automatic right to resubmit. Right. Which right now doesn't exist either. Right now, you could say, I'd like to have you reconsider. The board doesn't have to reconsider. I The way I read this, it's almost like you're giving, you're creating sort of implicit right to, to resubmit. That's kind of also interesting. The other thing about this is in Westchester, they have a similar law. Yeah. Um, and the, that law has a couple of things I think that hasn't been addressed in the city's law that I like about Westchester, which is and we can talk about that later, but Westchester has developed a form that you check the box, check the box. And so it has all these different categories. I think if this gets passed, city council should probably promulgate some sort of form as well. So co-ops don't have to worry that they forgot to check a box or forgot yeah. to say something. Because the other thing that these laws do is they say, if the statement doesn't say a reason, and later on, there's a case or an investigation or anything is brought basically by the prospective purchaser. The co-op can't then say any other reason was also relied on other than the ones that they disclosed. Right. So, you know, I, I, I see why that kind of was in there. But at the same time, maybe, you know, you just forgot to say something. It doesn't mean it wasn't in their mind. Maybe they did have a really incredible uh, recommendation or something and they said or they checked the reference and it wasn't good or something right. but yeah right now boards can deny an application for any reason or no reason as long as it's a lawful reason it's not discriminatory and you know as long as they're acting in good faith um you know we've had there are cases and i've written about this there's a case where a board um a board president was convinced the board to deny the application because the board president wanted to buy the mm, apartment. And that's obviously not okay. Yeah. Um, you can't self-deal, right? Yeah. But but short of self-dealing or or discrimination, as long as they're reviewing it in good faith, you can deny a, a, an application. I mean, right now, listen, people have gone to uh, board interviews and, and they got their finances were good. They got to the board interview and they just were maybe abrasive. Maybe they had a bad day. And the board didn't like them. They got denied. That can happen. That's, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Someone may not like it, but that's that's perfectly okay. How is the <laughs> board now going to say, we just didn't like you? <laughs> I know. Being a jerk is not a protected class <laughs> right now. No, in the it's city. Not, yet. not yet. Not yet. It should be, but it's not. Um, yeah. Something that we talked about also was um, with regards to changing how boards operate where you could see maybe if um, this is financials are really one way to stop people from coming in. And maybe that's the only way if, or, you know, if you're checking the box or if you're having to write a specific letter, 
you know, changing the rules within how people can buy a, an apartment. I've seen some buildings and you mentioned it on a past call about, you know, maybe taking away the right to get a mortgage to buy into the building, um, maybe taking away the right to financing. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of that's buildings. That's a major problem. Yeah, we have. Sorry, a, a, that's okay. We have a lot of buildings where it's eighty percent minimum financing or maximum, I should say. Um, and anytime maximum. you go, yeah, anytime you go over that, then you're running into like PMI, personal mortgage insurance, and you're kind of skewing the debt to income ratio. And um, I actually like having some sort of financing in place because then, should the shareholder go belly up or not pay their maintenance, then at least we have the recognition agreements I'll rely upon to go to the bank, you know, when they give the mortgage, the, the, the co-op, you know, signs recognition agreement. And that's basically the bank saying, you know, where the co-op saying, we understand that there's this mortgage here, here are the rules. If the shareholder is delinquent in payments, if they're looking to sublet their apartment, like there are certain conditions that are noted in that recognition agreement to say, okay, bank, they're not living up to their duties as a shareholder. We'd like you to step in before we start, essentially be before we start a, a holdover proceeding or something for non-payment, give the bank the opportunity to save their collateral and step in for the shareholder, pay the back uh, maintenance that's owed or rent or you know however it's described in the offering plan, and then go after separately on their side, go after the shareholder. It's a lot easier for us to do that. So when you take that away from a building, you know, another tool in the tool belt for somebody that is um, not paying their bills and living up to their um, monthly requirements, that also puts another side of things in a bad perspective, in my opinion, because now you're handcuffing the board to say, okay, this person is not paying their maintenance for six months. Um, we're now reliant upon housing court and the timeframes that they have to go. And what if this person, you know, just kind of skips town or goes belly up, you know, finances come and go. So having a protection like that is important for me. Yeah, I think that it's a really good point. So the just so people who aren't as intimately uh, aware of operations and co-ops as we are, the recognition agreement is really a document where the bank signs and says, we recognize that the co-op's collateral is senior to ours. So that if you guys are going, you, you co-op have arrears that accumulate, we bank have a right secure those arrears and save our collateral from being foreclosed on by the co-op and being, you know, off. And I think you're right. I think one of the things that may happen as a result of these laws, if they get passed, is that a board who, uh, you know, is saying, well, we, and I, and I wouldn't agree with this, of course, but, you know, you might see where boards are now going to say, we have a hundred percent financing requirement, or we have you know, I mean, it's a 0% financing requirement, 100% cash building. So now two things will happen. One, I think that's going to create a, a sort of de facto, as we say, situation where many black and brown people who have been excluded from generational wealth traditionally in our country, unfortunately, are now going to be further excluded from the housing market in New York City yeah. because, you know, it's really hard to come up with a 20% down payment let alone, uh, you know, 100% of the purchase price, even in a, a moderate apartment in Manhattan, for example. Um, so that's going to be really hard to come up with for most human beings. And then the other thing that's going to be a, what we call a negative externality, I think, for the co-ops is what you pointed out, which is this unintended consequence, where now 
you you maybe are saying you want to kind of have a certain kind of rich, ultra rich people in your building. Um, and then you don't have the recognition agreement anymore because you don't have financing. And so now you're right. You're left. You've now reduced the abilities to collect arrears quickly and easily without having to go to housing court and or start a, a plant, what we call a plenary action in, in Supreme Court just to collect the arrears. Maybe you don't want to terminate a lease. I don't know why you wouldn't want to terminate a lease if someone's in, in arrears but uh, and, and move to evict. But that, yeah, I think there's a couple things that might happen here. So I think, as as like I said, I think at the outset, as, as, as a strong supporter I am of having a fair and equitable country, I just don't know if these laws are getting us there. And I think that they should take a second stab at them um, and and correct some of the issues that I'm seeing in them and hopefully get a little bit more tailored so that we can get there. Let's get there. You know, It's more of a meet in the middle want right now where this is very, as it's designed, very purchaser friendly and it's to make it so that it's easier for people to purchase in apartments if everything stays the same. And it puts more of the onus on the building to act properly, which as professionals that manage properties and represent properties, we always, that's our standard anyway. You, we act in a certain way. We act within the, the confines of the law. We don't want to put ourselves in any liability situation. But if you're going, you know, it's almost like two teams playing against each other. You have the purchasers and then you have the co-op. And then if, you know, if you're reacting to this new law, and you're saying, okay, the co-op is now going to shift things. Now you've got to shift in the future the law too. Um, so hopefully they can find a middle ground. And I know that these conversations are there so that we can find a middle ground. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes from there. Um, yeah. disclo disclosures on finances. Um, we were also talking about before too. Um, now, is that in relation to um, the co-op's finances? Yeah, co-op finances. So I think they have to give out um, uh, they have to give out uh, annual basically like annual financials, any anything coming down the pike that may, you know, um, you got to disclose. I'm sorry, assets and liabilities, uh, cash flow, debt and operating expenses. So that would probably be covered in handing out an annual financial statement. Yeah. Um, the some of the other things that are a little trickier are capital improvements underway or planned and the cost of those improvements. I mean, that again, I think that the drafters of this were thinking broadly, but they don't understand the nature of what we do, because it may not be that a co-op board knows what the cost of, you know, capital projects planned two, five, 10 years out. And yeah. most boards that we work with, Mark, are all kind of thinking long-term and they have a long-term strategy to say, we want to do, you know, this now we want to do, you know, in 15 years, we want to do the, the the hallways again, you know, and we want to do the boiler. We want to do, you know, the local law we got ongoing and you just never know. So what does yeah. underway or plan mean? It's not defined. Yeah, um, I and, think and that I just jumping in on this, I have a few thoughts like on the condo side, we do a lot of um, capital plans and that's a way for us to say like over the next 10 years, here's what to do because then that would stop us from having to do the 10% holdback for the Fannie Mae requirements to push that over to the reserve fund so that you have money to fund those things over the next 10 years. That's like a, a kind of a stopgap measure to stop that 10% holdback. But what I've seen right. in that, doing that with the experience of that, um, you're now putting into writing, let's say we have a random co-op in downtown. 
if we do a capital plan, 10-year plan, and we say, okay, um, the lifespan of all of these mechanicals are this many years, this is the cost to replace it as of today's cost. So let's say we've got a total spend over the next 10 years of $10 million. Um, if we go and we put that as final, we usually keep that as a draft for a co-op because it doesn't have any play with the Fannie Mae requirements, but it's good right. if we do it to keep it as like a benchmark for the board to say, okay, in the year 2023, this is what was expected. My problem with releasing that as like a final would be that, you know, even in the last two years since COVID started, you've seen supply chain issues, you've seen cost of um, normal goods, you've seen cost of supplies go up. How can we defend and not be sued for this $10 million plan suddenly ballooning to 25 because now you're also at the cities. Um, whenever they make a new rule, there's new local laws, there's laws for gas testing, there's laws for energy efficiency. We don't know what's coming in 2025 and 2028 and 2030 and 2033. So if we say, okay, we've got $10 million. This is where I'm, I'm always like trying to be the devil's advocate to say who are, who can stop that shareholder who now bought into the building based on that $10 million spend, and now it's 30, can they go back and sue the board because they had improper financial information, knowing that at the time it was valid? Like That's the thing that I worry about is putting these numbers out there as gospel, and you run into a situation where um, suddenly we have to assess that like extra 20 million or whatever that number is. I'm just using big round numbers just for effect, yeah. but- that's a that's a worry that I have. Yeah, I think it's valid, and I think that uh, you know, or even if even if people don't sue, it may be a reason why recalcitrant shareholders who have cash flow problems use it as a reason just not to pay, and say, well, right. I don't want to pay that assessment. You guys said when I bought that uh, you're only going to have this much money to be spent, and that's why I bought, and now you're telling me it's ten times that. And yeah, I mean, I think you know that that could be an issue. Uh, um, you know, there's a there's just a lot here. There's a lot of minefields here. A yeah. couple of the other things, Mark, and you ra you raise it is you're also supposed to you have to disclose the amount of the reserve fund, if any, and then the most recent budget or a statement that the co-op does not prepare a budget. So I right. think you know you again, this is all stuff that is there's a lot of statements that have to be given here. Uh, and like this budget is, is an example. There's other uh, disclosures that have to be made about all the packages that have come in in the last three years, who was who was denied, you know, it's, doesn't that open up to like privacy issues? I mean, there's a lot here. I just think there's a lot here to really slowly consider. I think that this should not be rushed. I think they should take another couple looks at, at some of this stuff and hopefully get a, a much more streamlined version so that it doesn't inadvertently create more problems than it's trying to solve. And I think you're right. You pointed out a lot of problems. I think that it's going to inadvertently create. I feel like half my job is pointing out potential problems, but I enjoy that part. Like <laughs> whenever it's like me, I think that comes from my parents. Cause when I was growing up and I would tell my, my mom something, she would always be like, but what about this? And I'd be like, ah, just let me have my moment, you know, like, yeah, stop. but that's now that's trickled down to me. And I guess as like running a business and giving people advice, I think you have to always look at the other side of the glass, like half full and half empty. And maybe I'm more of a half empty because that elicits more of a better, it's a better conversation to have so that you can work through the problems. Um, but I'm sure she'll listen to this and she'll really disagree with my my memory of my childhood but oh i think she's probably gonna say i gave you great a i gave you great job training 
from That's a very true. early age. And, and, and B, I think, you know, it raises an issue of like, that's what we do is risk management. And I yeah. think that uh, this law and all the other laws now that are in place are just really asking a lot of volunteer members of boards of directors to just be compliance experts. And I think this more than anything else reinforces to me that anyone serving on a board of directors, whether it's a public or private company for that matter, but we're talking about our world, which is co-ops and condos, needs excellent uh, advisory people on their team, legal and managerial and management companies. And you've got to know that the people who are advising you are exactly like you and me, Mark. And they're, you know, <laughs> great risk managers, great compliance people, because you now are a volunteer member and you don't know these laws. And these fair housing laws are wonderful, but, you know, you could be open up to personal liability if you misstep here. Yeah. It's not well, just a, about yeah. it's not just about the cor corporation getting a fine. It, if you commit housing discrimination, they're coming after you personally. Right. And your DNO, directors and officers insurance would probably disavow coverage if you did something illegal. They're not going to cover you. Um, well, what happens is they issue what's called a reservation of rights letter and then they might defend you, but if at the end of the day you're found to have committed discrimination, that is a bad act and they won't cover. Yeah. The last oh, thing yeah. that we we spoke about was um, having to keep a record. What was it? Three years of all sales applications. If they were approved, denied. Do we have to keep a record of why they were denied and release yeah, that? Yeah, you got to You got yes. You have to have. So you have to set for. So when you deny. So let's say you're going to deny an application within five business days. You also have, in addition to having specific reasons, you have to set forth the number of applications that have been received by the co-op in the three years prior to the data submission of the application. I mean, you're going to have to have Excel spreadsheets like crazy yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, most people, as soon as they're, as soon as they, you know, submit those things get deleted. Right. And that, and you I have would an assume, obligation under federal law. I would assume like you mentioned board packager, which we used yeah. in the very beginning when it launched and then we got away from it. We do it internal now. I would think for those people using that system and other systems specifically designed for that, that should all like be able to like just run a report. It should keep all that data so that we could say, okay, for this building, how many you know units were with the date of submission, the date of approval. I would hope that we would be able to just run a report quickly on that. But for those using not the web services or the other applications or SaaS product, like it would be more of die by spreadsheet and and that's what i do for a lot yeah. of my compliance stuff so like for us internally in the company i think adding just one more layer would be fine but for those companies just not set up for that type of data it's going to be a learning curve and that could also yeah, put them negatively with with the state with the city however whatever it comes to that's going to hurt the mom and pop businesses out there that can't handle that I think that's exactly it. Is it going to hurt small buildings? It's going to hurt mom and pops. It's going to be, uh, it's going to just create so much more red tape. I mean, again, it this is this kind of statement is helpful for plaintiffs who are want to bring a discrimination case. It sort of lays the groundwork and it gives them some sort of pre-discovery, as we say. But you know, you you know, it's just it's going to be a lot of record keeping. And and the statement also just I want to just make sure I close the loop on it. This proposed bill says you have to set forth in the same time frame how many applications were 
uh, not approved and how many they just didn't make a decision on. Now, that part, I'm not really sure. But mostly you make decisions on things. Unless they, um, the buyer walked away. That's, what that's I true. Unless, that's a good point. Unless the buyer, yeah. unless they blew up the deal and they said, I'm just going to you know, let the seller keep their down payment or litigate with the seller or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's true. They may have like withdrawn their application. Um, so yeah, there's just, a, there's just a lot here, man. I mean, I don't want to bore your listeners too much, but. <laughs> oh, if they've made it this far, I think you're good. <laughs> in, the, in the first three minutes, we probably lost half the audience, but after oh, that, no. it's all gravy. <laughs> well, I think it was it a up. useful conversation and there's certainly useful. more to talk about. I actually, you know, it's funny. I go back sometimes when I, cause we, I've done this for, I don't know how many years at this point. Um, I used to do them more often, but as I got busier, I stopped doing it. But there are so many times where I'm like, I know I discussed this on the podcast and I don't necessarily remember the complete ins and outs and nuts and bolts of what we discussed, but I know for a fact that we discussed it and I understood it at that time. I will myself go back to like talking with an expert and just kind of look at the notes on that. And if I have to listen to it, but I think having this somewhere is an amazing, you know, I mean, I'm doing it. So it's, of course it's amazing, but I think that it's just like a good um, kind of place to put all these things, a repository for information just on this stuff. I mean, it's super narrow. We're just dealing with people that are so just interested in what we're doing. So maybe it's five people, maybe it's 500. Uh, we don't know. Um, well, I do know. I see the numbers. So it's not bad. I'll promise you that your time is not wasted, but it's always oh, fun it's to always have. great to talk to you. Yeah, it's always fun to have an expert. And I, like, I love how you just know your stuff. You know, like I can, I know that if I have you on, I could talk to you for 45 minutes about a topic. And even if you don't know the complete overview of everything, like you, we got through it when we picked out problems, we were able to, you know, figure out what they need to do to solve them. Um, seeing it from both perspectives. I think that we both share the uh, commonality of the, you know, protect the purchasers and we're both anti-discrimination. We want to see everybody be able to buy into any building that they're able to afford. And I think for us, that's like, you know, we represent the clients that um, are there for us in that way. And I think that, you know, I, I choose my clients wisely now. I think after this many years, going uh, into a client that I think is going to be bad is not good practice. And I think, you know, having that and just knowing that the clients are on the same page as us is going to also alleviate a lot of these problems for management companies. So, um, and also one thing that, you know, it popped up into my head when we were talking is the self-management thing. And I get it. I understand why. And there are some bigger buildings that have a staff that self-manage, but there's others that are just the board. It could be a 20 unit building that they have five board members, or there's a 10 unit building or a nine unit building where everybody's a board member. I don't understand as a, like a lay person, meaning somebody not doing this day to day, how you can kind of wrap your head around all of these changing rules and, you know, leave yourself open for so many different things. And I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different boards that are professionally managed that don't know, even with a professional management company, what's going on in different um, city agencies and what are the implications for not following them? And you have to, and you're, by the way, you were supposed to do that two years ago. Why didn't you? Oh, we didn't know. You know, it's like, making sure that you have that information. There are certain resources out there like the CNYC. We do um, classes there once every November. I host a class on that um, with another attorney. It's just a uh, communication in buildings, and but they have workshops every day, or I should say that day, they have multiple workshops throughout the day and they hit everything. So if you go for a few years in a row, you should be able to hit, but having a resource out there just so that you know everything, I think is kind of key. And I appreciate you adding to it and, Hopefully we could have you back for more. 
um, it was a lot of fun. Same. It was great. And people should check out my sublet lecture at the CNYC. Conference. Oh, you do a lecture too on sublets. All right. Well, it's uh, what is it? It's cnyc.coop. I think is the, let me go to the website now to see. We just can to make do a sure. pitch for Marianne Rothman. <laughs> I know she's great. CNYC.com. You can join there if you're a board. This is a free plug, not advertising at all. Actually, I don't even have advertising <laughs> on this. I wish I did. Um, if you go to CNYC, just know that you could join. Every November, they have that workshop. They used to do it in person, and we would have our booth there. So in between classes, people could come see us because we were a vendor. And then we started doing the, the class. Do, so I do the communication class. You do the sublet class. Uh, hopefully, we can run into each other again. But let me also tell, I'm going to put it in the text. Everybody, if you've made it this far, you can contact Deborah at dkoplovitz, and that's D-K-O-P-L-O-V-I-T-Z at herrick.com, or you could call her at 212-592-1620. And uh, Deborah, it, it was amazing. This is actually one of our best podcasts, I think. I really enjoyed the entire, like, I learned something. I think hopefully you learned something. I think we made people at home learn things, and it was great. I hope you'll come back. I would be love to come back. It was really fun for me, too. It's always great talking to you, and I really love this area, and it was great to talk to a fellow, fellow co-op condo nerd. <laughs> Same. Until <laughs> next time, we'll see you on the next podcast. Awesome. Have All a great right, one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.